to the Buddha, the Blessed One, perfectly awakened, I bow my head, I pay my homage to the Dhamma, the teaching, perfectly expounded, I bow my head, I pay my homage to the faithful devotees, Sangha of ages, I bow my head, I pay my homage. Tonight is very close to the solstice. The solstice is the longest day of the year, and the light is long. Driving back, we may even have light. Anagarika Nimala, with her new name. Nimala means pure, so does Kathy. Nimala actually means without stains. It's very good to use these spiritual names as a way of reminding ourselves of our highest aspiration. If it means something to us, it's only if we remember to pay attention to the meaning. As spiritual practitioners, that's the most important thing that we can do, is pay attention to the meaning. So tonight, I would like to ask you to reflect on how you pay attention to the meaning of your life. What do you pay homage to? What do you bow your head to? For us to reflect on, this is a good thing, When we meditate, we focus our minds on the present moment and we try to pay attention to the breath. But to awaken the mind and to purify ourselves from attachment, from the unwholesome habits and from the distractions, it's not enough just to watch the breath automatically. We have to really listen to what is coming up beneath what we see. Not to look in a superficial way, but to really examine. In reflecting on how to pay attention, I want to bring up a suggestion. You may all be familiar with the four foundations of mindfulness. The body, feelings, mood and consciousness. We can go into that in a little bit of a different way. Body is painful, pleasant sensations, pure sensations, unobstructed understanding of sensation. It's knowing the body without opinion. When you're observing the breath, if you're thinking, if you have any opinions going on, it's a good breath, it's a bad breath, I like it, I don't like it, 
can you be using the breath as a foundation for mindfulness? When we're examining feelings, if we like the feelings that are coming through, pleasant, painful feelings, or neutral feelings, then as soon as the mind connects to the feeling, has a sensation of the feeling, and uses feeling as a foundation for mindfulness, as soon as there's any kind of opinion about feelings, then are we really being mindful of feelings? We're caught up with judgment. And the same is true of moods. Knowing the mood as it is, it's dark, it's heavy, it's thick, it's pleasant, it's painful. As soon as we resist it, we attach to it, we grasp it, we're upset with it, we're contracted with it. As soon as we have any kind of judgment or opinion about what the mind is filled with, then that foundation for mindfulness is obstructed. We're not with it. We're not using it as a support. It's no longer a pillar for being in the present moment. We're far away from being centered and knowing the mood and understanding it. And the same is with understanding how consciousness is working. The moment that we're distracted by other conditions that are arising in the heart, then it's very difficult for us to be grounded in the present moment and to see the way that consciousness operates with experience and knows the objects of experience as they arise and cease. We can't be aware of the arising of the Four Noble Truths. We don't understand the way that mindfulness works, connecting and having direct contact with experience and seeing the three ultimate characteristics of every movement of consciousness. So none of our foundations of mindfulness are really foundations whenever there's a judgment or an opinion in the mind. So what's an opinion? It's a view. If it's a reaction, then that's on the mental level. It can also go from the mental level to the physical level. If you have a reaction that, that takes you to a state of anger, then what can accompany anger in the body? Rapid heartbeat, a burning feeling, a tightness, a contraction. What if you are bored with what's coming up? What can boredom lead to? Restlessness or sleepiness or lack of interest. Unable to focus, unable to see, unable to be present. So we're lost in past and future, caught up in time. We're not attentive. Take the word opinion, O, P, I, N, I, O, N, right? Opinion. O is for obstruction, obstacle. An opinion is an obstacle. It prevents us from having insight. P is for prevent. Prevents us from having insight 
it prevents us from investigating, from knowing. It nullifies and it intervenes, it intercepts. It's almost like a veil. You know, the Buddha talks about this teaching being for those with little dust in their eyes to really be able... If we have too much dust, then it's very difficult for us to hear the instructions. And the reason that he was encouraged to go and teach for 45 years was because he was reminded that there are those with little dust in their eyes. But if we are constantly caught up in opinions, it's like we're adding a filter. Those opinions nullify and intercept, like somebody were to put a blanket over your head and prevent you even more from seeing your own experience. And then that prevents us from detaching or coming to the place of non-attachment. Opinion. It's a huge thing. And opinions begin the moment we let thoughts creep into consciousness. As we're trying to practice the four satipatthana, you might think that your meditation is easy. No problem, just sit there and watch my breath. It's very deceptive because often we'll be sitting, the body is still, even you think your mind is on your breath, but in the background there's all kinds of opinions. This is a good meditation. It's almost like the one I had last week. If I just... Like there's a controlling of the ego. The ego, which is the I-go, I-G-O. As soon as you have I-go arising, then we're gone. The ego ejects us from the present moment. It doesn't give us permission to really connect to any of those four foundations properly because the mind is obstructed, covered with, intercepted by, kidnapped by thought. And thought leads to opinion, and opinion kills our ability to be present. So then we're left with zero foundation, none. N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. <laughs> In fact, it's a very simple thing to let go opinion. As long as we can remember to pay attention. So it's a bit like a dog chasing its tail. We don't even realize that we're going in a circle. And we are. Opinions are so subtle. You don't even realize that you're having an opinion. Maybe you're being very mindful of the sweat rolling down your brow as you sit here on this hot summer's evening. And with that trickle of sweat comes aversion. We're busy watching the breath, but the aversion is growing. And we're noticing the sweat, but we're not really being mindful of the aversion because we're trying to control our attention to be present with the breath. Meanwhile, there's this little editorial commentary in the back that feels the sweat 
and he's already wishing that somebody would turn on the fan. We believe the ego is convincing you that you're watching your breath. In fact, our attention is well distracted or it's split by this background editorial about the temperature in the room, or perhaps your leg falling asleep, the numbness. And yet we're confused about what our real foundation of mindfulness is. We're not in the present moment. Our attention is distracted by a subtle opinion. And sometimes those opinions are very loud. They're really intrusive. They're really not giving us any space at all. Really try to sharpen your attention. Sharpen, make, make a little review while you're sitting. Instead of just being passive, you know how the instructions are sometimes, sit and be with the breath. Surrender to the breath. Let go of everything and just surrender to the breath. That's all you have to do. No. When you drive your car, you can't just... I haven't driven in 25 years. What is it? You go into automatic... What's it called? Cruise control. This is not cruise control, Dhamma. It's not good enough. If you want to have a pillar that you can rest on, that you can really be grounded in, you have to take yourself off cruise control and pay very, very close attention to what you're doing with these sensations that are arising connected to your observation of your breath. So that if there is any little divergence from focusing on the breath, you're right there with it. If you're in cruise control, you could be falling asleep. But your ego, you're already gone from the breath. But I, the I is, is saying, no, this is a great meditation. Oh, there's a sweat pouring down. Where's the fan? There's that little editorial commentary or a sweet little memory coming up about a nice walk in the park or pleasant plan for the weekend some tiny filaments of distraction have divided our attention. And these have already intercepted our ability to plunge our attention into our experience so that the pure presence can fully permeate our attention. And then we're transported. It's no longer like we have to make an effort to be present the pure presence just being. There's no more I am meditating when that happens. There's just pure presence. And it's a presence with feelings like really just sinking into the moment of feeling sensation. Feeling the body. Feeling the feeling. Knowing with the heart the mood. Not, what is it? Is it uh, joy or is it... mm, Because that's thought. And as soon as we start a little bit of thought, next thing that pounces into the thought is an opinion. And the opinion is an obstruction, preventing us from investigating. It nullifies our objectivity, our ability to 
be onlooking observers, deeply present in the knowing of what is happening now, rather than lost in the past and the future. We're gone with the ego. The I has taken over. And we don't even realize that. The best possible thing is for us to be so deeply with our experience that the mind is motionless. The attention is our alertness and our ability to plunge into the present moment is so stable and so deep that we, we can't rest on the surface anymore. So all the discomfort or even if you're having jhana, even the bliss, we're no longer excited by the bliss. This is still superficial at some level, unless you go deeper and deeper, so that you become like an ocean. Your mind goes down to the depths. And it cannot so easily surface to listen to those opinions and voices of the world calling you and trying to drag you out. It is possible to use these foundations of mind to go that deep, even in a little Friday night session here. However, we have to practice every day. What do we practice every day? What are we so good at? Having opinions. We're very good at having opinions. Opinions can also be little escape mechanisms. Today, and as I have been doing every day for the last little while, we're house-sitting for a dear friend in Perth, and she has a dog. And my job is to walk the dog. So every day, early in the morning, I put the little leash on the dog and take a little plastic bag, and I walk down to the park. And I meet other people walking dogs. Perth is a pretty white, Anglo-Saxon, middle-class community. They're not very exposed to people dressed like me. If I'm not wearing a hat, it's even more pronounced. And I observe how people react to me. They're very happy when they see the dog. (laughs) Because the dog, you know, the dog, otherwise there's this huge opinion It's like a big obstruction to being able to be present with what they view when they see this human being dressed in clothes that they can't put into a category. They don't quite know what to do with it. So the the mind is immediately stained by an opinion and there's a contraction and fear arises. When you don't know, it's fear or it's not sure. So take a deep breath and come a little closer and there's a dog. They have a dog and you have a dog, so you can have a conversation. And then, of course, good morning, we smile, and and then we can really make friends. But if there's an opinion, it's very difficult. And if there's no dog, it's not a relaxed because they don't know what I am and they're a little nervous. But they're very sweet. I can always see this huge effort to be polite and be kind. 
I can sense the tension. That's what we do in our practice when we face fearful things in the body or in consciousness. Or when we face things that we have strong opinions about, memories or unfamiliar sensations, or we have some kind of aggression coming up, some pain that we feel negative towards, that we resist and the body shuts down and begins to contract. We can't welcome it. We can't say, good morning. And then we can't be with it fully. We can't surrender. That's why cruise control isn't enough. We have to introduce a sense of not just being polite, but opening up to these difficult moments so that we can really be more present, more mindful, and sharpen our practice and make these four foundations one at a time really work for us. Find one little thing about the difficult moments, the difficult sensations that is familiar. Like people, when they see the dog, then they can open up. What is something that you can know about your anger when it comes up? What can you know that can make you breathe a sigh of relief? It's impermanent. Right? If it doesn't come immediately into consciousness, this isn't going to last. This is impermanent. It's not like, may it not last. Don't do that. Because that's an expectation. But realizing that the angry moment, the painful moment, the difficult contracted feeling in the heart, the resistance, is impermanent. It's not me. It's not who I am. And we see that it's suffering. It's not the path. It's not where we will find happiness. It doesn't bring peace. But we can welcome it. And by opening to it, then we know that these truths, the anicca, Anatta, by knowing the anger from the place of truth, we don't take it personally. It's not me or mine. It's not what I am. We can let it go. But not like this. More with a sense so that it lets us know the truth of the present. Then we can awaken. Then we approach the present moment like a Buddha, like with Buddha mind. Solstice means we're going towards the longest day and then it begins to decrease again. The light rises, progresses, the days get longer and longer and then there's a turning point and again there's a denouement towards fall and then winter. And so it is with life. We practice not to sustain happiness like let the breath always be blissful not because of that because that's just attachment that's just clinging that takes us back to thought opinion I like it I don't like it not painful pleasant painful pleasant is just it's lighter it's dark it doesn't matter we're not celebrating the solstice because We want to hold on to the longest day forever and ever because we know we can't. 
So we take the solstice as a way of making peace with light or dark, pain or pleasure, happiness or unhappiness, knowing that our freedom lies in the ability to make peace with all conditions, not to choose a particular condition and make that our prison. That's what it becomes if we can't be with whatever is arising. And as long as we're caught up in opinion, we want only the light. We can't experience the darkness and find the joy in the true nature of things. We'll always be fluttering and reverberating and imprisoned by and suffering with our opinions. But we have the possibility by being so careful, so much aware, so much navigating our attention so that we come to the truth of the way things are and we really find the peace in knowing that truth. I was ordained as a bhikkhuni in Taiwan and I'm practicing as a bhikkhuni in the Theravada tradition now. So I'm bowing the fuller body bow used in the Mahayana tradition. And I'm trying to bridge both ways of practice by incorporating different facets and tying them together in my own way of manifesting this form. It's only a convention. But if you really bow from the depths of your heart, I could be bowing like the Tibetans completely lie down on the floor. But if I'm not prostrating inside, it doesn't mean anything. The convention is the outward. But the inward bow is the most important, even if you don't bow at all. But in your life, you're constantly bowing to the present moment as what you really aspire to know and pay homage to. Then... If you never bowed, it wouldn't matter. But I find this very useful for myself because I try to bow so mindfully so that I'm, I'm really making my ego, taking it apart and dismantling it every time by lowering my body and putting my head to the floor. At least three times, I bow as much as I can. But I don't believe in empty ritual. So if you like to do full prostrations or half prostrations or just from the knees down, it's good exercise, if nothing else. Bow to the triple gem. Bow to goodness. Bow to wholesomeness. Bow to non-attachment. Bow to the path. Bow to the Four Noble Truths. Bow to what you love what you really love, not the things that you think you love, not the things that you bargain with that have no real value, that are impermanent. Bow to the things that are everlasting and that can really support you. Bow to the truth in your own heart that you can bring to life just by practicing the five precepts. The five precepts are really the beginning and ending of the whole path. Five fingers of your hand, five precepts. They help us to pick up 
the Dhamma, to hold it close to our hearts, to use it in everyday life, to feed ourselves on the Dhamma, and to be true disciples of purity. One thing to have a name, but it's another thing to live that purity by being harmless in body, speech, and thought. Make it a a commitment of your everyday life to investigate whenever your mind is falling into an opinion. As soon as you've got an opinion, you may be giving vent to your ego instead of to Dhamma. So that's an excellent clue to what we're doing. As soon as we notice that there's an opinion going on, then you can check, am I being mindful? No. I'm thinking, busy proliferating with opinions, bad or good, about a condition that you're faced with, a relationship, a traffic jam, a choice that you have to make in your life, a word that you've heard, something that's come into consciousness through the eye, the ear, the nose, feeling, sensation, or thought. Check opinion. Check it and check it. Check it, dismantle, refuse it. So that in refusing the opinion, you come back to true refuge. That's a real bow. Don't bow to opinion, but bow to this onlooking presence that observes experience with non-attachment and with right view, right understanding, right intention, which means right thought, right mindfulness, right concentration, right wisdom, and brings it into daily life through right speech and right action, harmless, harmless action, harmless speech, that oftentimes means we have to renounce something, we have to give up something that we have an opinion about. And all of those lead to right livelihood. We have to keep examining, am I living? Livelihood means how are you spending your time? And it doesn't just mean your job, but your everyday spending of time, right livelihood. All of these come from right view, right thought. These are the links of the Eightfold Path. Very often they're governed by and smothered by our opinions. Can we be aware what opinion is in the mind? When something's happening in life and you feel squeezed, anybody feel squeezed lately by a situation? Emotion? Memory? Somebody having a few harsh words for us? Or a worry about your child? Or a parent? And then what's the next thing that comes up Be right there to catch the opinion and refuse it, renounce it, abandon it. That's the best way to come back to being aware, being awake, and being in the presence. The presence is pure. It's the Dhamma. This will constantly help us re-enter the stream. We're all stream-enterers in the sense that We're entering the stream moment by moment, but we keep getting out again. So we have to keep staying 
by refusing opinion, refusing these things that pull us out of the waters of truth, we have to give up those tentacles of samsara and keep the mind focused on what is worthy of our true love and attention. Staying fast to the five precepts, not compromising, and bringing the Eightfold Path to life moment by moment. Give yourself permission to bathe in pure presence as you walk, as you eat, as you live, as you work, as you brush your teeth, get on a bus, garden, listen to a bird, and then meditate, of course. As soon as we drink from this Dhamma, we've tasted the stream. Then we can all say that we have really let go the ego. The ego begins and ends with opinion. So be mindful of your opinions and you'll be bringing to life these four foundations of mindfulness. And whatever kind of bow you do, bow with pure presence.